This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Romans 15.4 For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Romans 10.17 So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Matthew 24.35 Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Today we're going to be talking about Scripture, the Word of God, the Bible as a whole, and how it came to be the book you know, you now hold in your hands and you look at on your phone, a book that we study for the purpose of learning more about God, our Savior, and our faith. Everything we believe in this congregation, as members of the Church of Christ, we believe because we trust and have faith in the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But the Bible wasn't always compiled this way. Scripture hasn't always even been called the Bible. It wasn't always written in English, and especially wasn't written in King James English always. (laughs) People are going to question this. They're going to question why we believe what we believe. They're going to question why we can trust this book. So today we're going to begin a journey a journey to better understand the Bible as a whole, and so we can better prove our faith in the Scripture. Today, we're going to begin with the origin and the arrangement of the Bible. The word Bible actually is a Latin term, and it comes from the, or is a Latin term, and the form in the Bible that we see, the Greek word is biblia, meaning books. Sorry. Um, The first time that this has ever been used was actually not in Scripture. It was by a man of the name of Clement. Clement was a church leader in Rome, and he was writing to the people of Corinth. Uh, This is around 150 A.D. And he said, The books and the apostles declare the church has existed from the beginning. This is the first time Biblia was ever used to describe the Bible. While the term Bible is not used in Scripture itself explicitly, it does, the Bible is very self-aware of its own divine authorship. Most often, it's used with the terms the writings or the Scriptures is how it's referred. You see this most often in the New Testament, specifically describing the Old Testament. An example would be, Matthew 21, 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corners. This is the Lord's doing, and is marvelous in our eyes. Here he's actually quoting Psalms 118, verse 22. The parallel passage in Mark 12, 10 says, And have ye not read this Scripture? 
Then we go to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.15-16. Paul's writing Timothy, and he says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Again, here he's referring more towards the Old Testament, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. This term, inspiration of God, is actually God-breathed, would be a closer translation. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The first time we see anything in the New Testament about any writings of the New Testament being referred to as Scripture is going to be in 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16. He says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures. He didn't say the scriptures. He said the other scriptures unto their own destruction. This therefore implies that the epistles of Paul are scripture. If he would have put the scriptures, he would have been referring to the Old Testament. But that's not how he words it. He specifically says the other scriptures, applying that the epistles of Paul are scripture. And within the context of this passage, they're actually talking about the second coming of Christ. So I personally feel some people disagree and some people agree, but he's most likely also talking about the gospels as scripture too. It doesn't explicitly say that, but it feels, it feels right, it feels correct that, to say that he was probably talking about the, uh, the Gospels as well. So what is it that makes up the Bible? To make things really simple, the general makeup would be the Old Testament and the New Testament. Super simple, very easy divide. But even then, there's disagreements here. There's disagreements on what books should be part of the Old Testament, what books shouldn't be part of the Old Testament, what books are part of the New Testament. A lot of churches throughout the ages have been trying to add books and take away books. A very common one would be some churches will exclude Second Peter, Second and Third John, Jude, and Revelations. Some versions are going to be adding things. First uh, and Second Maccabees, very historically accurate, but churches like the Catholic Church will add this to their Bible. First Enoch, Book of Jubilee. There's so many more. Uh, uh, I believe Baal and the Dragons, another one. All these books are being added to the Scripture. There's a huge disagreement there, and a lot of these churches that do things like this that feel comfortable with making adjustments, removing things, adding things, they have this idea of shared authority. What do I mean by shared authority? They are saying that God is not the only authority in their actions. They're saying the Bible is not their only authority. You have churches like the Catholic Church, which has a, a pope, they have bishops, they have this hierarchy. And that is part of their authority. You have 
churches with preachers that will actually use the church or use the preacher as the authority. Uh, a good example would be Joel Olstein preaching the prosperity gospel. They're using him, they're viewing him as a separate authority. You have other groups of men in these churches trying to, to take this authority. It, it makes me sick because as members of God's church, we have one authority. We have God. God is our authority, and He speaks to us through His Word. We will be talking more in further lessons as I continue this series about these Apocrypha, but I feel like uh, about these scriptures that are added, but I feel like it's important to note now the way that other churches have treated the Bible through the years. The word testament actually comes from the Latin word testamentum. The Greek word is diathoki, which means the covenant. There's a lot of interesting facts about the word testamentum and the etymology of that word. Uh, it's not necessarily important for the lesson, but if you have questions about it, feel free to ask me afterwards. It's very interesting in the impact it has or in the, where it comes from. But the Old Testament and the New Testament they have a very clear division, and you can see this division between the two. Not a division like opposing sides, but there's a clean divide between the two, and they constantly mention this divide. Moses first brings up this division when he comes down and brings the covenant to the people of Israel in Exodus 24-7. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord hath said... Will we do and be obedient? This is one of the main mentions of the covenant, and it shows the Old Testament covenant. Then in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 32, we see this foreshadowing of a new covenant, covenant, showing this division between the old covenant and the new. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. The New Testament also mentions this divide, and in Hebrews chapter 8, after briefly quoting, if you go to Hebrews chapter 8, you'll see that he quotes Jeremiah 31 through 32. In Hebrews 8, 13, he says, in, the, in that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. This is showing a fulfillment of what was in the old covenant in the new covenant. Christ's own words actually give authority for a divide, for a different separate covenant. In Luke 22, 19 through, 19 through 20, during the Last Supper, he said, And he took bread and gave thanks, and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. It's very easy, very clear to see the separation between the two. As we move 
into the way the Old Testament was arranged and the way these, the New Testament was arranged as well going forward, it's important for us to remember these books were written individually. They were written as separate books. People read them as individual books. And our Old Testament has been organized and arranged in different ways. Just like a person's library shelf, you might change the way the books are placed on there because they were. They were separate books. The Hebrew Bible, which is the exact same as our Old Testament, only difference being the arrangement, but book for book, it's the same as ours. They were arranged in this way. You have the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible came first. It set the basis. Then they go into the prophets. And this is split into two different categories itself. You have former prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. Latter prophets being Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the minor prophets as well. From there it goes into the writings, which would be Psalms, Proverbs, and Job. This is how their Hebrew Bible ended initially. And something that I also find interesting, notice it's not 1st and 2nd Kings, it's Kings. It's not 1st and 2nd Samuel, it's Samuel. The one that really threw me for a loop was, oh, I messed up. I forgot to mention Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. Those came in the writings. Um, Ezra, Nehemiah was one book. Chronicles was one book. All of these were one book. Until later on, because they were written on separate scrolls, people started viewing them as separate books. It also helped with uh, looking up things, researching things. You can remember it's in one book and not in the other. But they were originally just kings, and then it became first and second kings. Kind of like how... Y'all might remember the 90s and early 2000s when a VHS was too long to fit on one single VHS tape. Y'all probably don't know this. <laughs> um, on one VHS tape, it'd come on two VHS tapes. It was still one movie. Titanic was massive, but it was still one movie. And you wouldn't look at it as first and second Titanic. That's kind of how the Jews saw it. They saw it similarly. It looks like less books, but it's the same amount of books. They just saw them together as one. So what happened? What was the change that adjusted how we now organize our own Bible? Well, the Old Testament was later translated into Greek and was collected in Greek and it was arranged differently. It was called the Septuagint. Now the Septuagint actually did contain other books that we don't include because they weren't part of the Hebrew Bible. They weren't considered canon, and they didn't match the narrative of Christ. So we don't really include them. Some of them, like I said, Maccabees, they're historically accurate and could be useful for study purposes down the road, but we wouldn't consider them to be God's Word. And they organize them in terms of subject matter. You have the Pentateuch first because, again, it just makes sense to set this foundation. That was followed by historical books. So what are we calling historical books? Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. They set the historical foundation. 
Then we have the books of poetry and wisdom, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Psalms, also known as Song of Solomon. And then we had the books of the prophets. This, when it comes to study purposes, if you're reading it front to back, is a helpful way to read the Bible. Because you're setting up a historical foundation. Then when you read the books of wisdom and poetry and the prophets, it's easier to know when they happened, when they took place, because a lot of these, for example, the prophets will have essentially a timestamp at the very beginning. Uh, the book of Hosea mentions uh, that it took place during the time of Hezekiah. If you know your historical books, you can easily know, okay, he mentions Hezekiah. When did Hezekiah reign? It would have been around in 2 Kings chapter 18 or 19. <laughs> so, somewhere close to that. But you would know to look there, and it helps give you a setting, a very clear setting. This division is actually kind of mentioned, specifically the Hebrew Bible division. You'll see mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, in Luke 24, 44, Jesus mentions it. He says, And he, Jesus, said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Most often you'll actually see it as Moses and the prophets. Luke 16, 29, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. This is... Uh, the ruler uh, in the story of the, the ruler in Lazarus, uh, and the ruler talking to Abraham is where this takes place for context. But the Old Testament still maintains the will of God. And it comes to us in two very specific ways. It's conveyed in his mighty works and in his prophetic words. God's acts of mercy... And judgment that he used to make himself known would not necessarily have been clearly understood if, his, if they weren't communicated through the prophets as his spokespersons after receiving and communicating with God. An example of this would be uh, Moses and Israel throughout the book of Exodus and the events that took place in the book of Exodus. You have God's mercy and judgment on Israel and Moses giving God's message to Israel. If God was only showing His mercy in judgment without Moses explaining it to them, they might not quite have understood. If we only have Moses giving God's message to Israel without God's mighty works, they're not going to carry the same weight. He did both. This connection between mighty works... And prophetic word in the Old Testament really does explain why the New Test or why the uh, Hebrew Bible categorizes and organizes the books the way that they do. Because they can't see a separation between the two. They can't see that separation between prophetic and historical, which makes sense. Also within this recording, 
is the response of Israel, who were sometimes obedient, more often disobedient, towards God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, as examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. They recorded the response of Israel as an example for us going forward. So what is the Old Testament doing in our Christian Bible? I've heard this question a couple times. What is it doing there? We're no longer under the law. First of all, that's important to know. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Well, the Old Testament prepared the way for Christ. It set the path. Hebrews 1-2 says, God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these day, last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Not only that, it bears witness to who Christ is. In John 5, 39, Jesus says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify me. The Old Testament testifies to the, the Messiah, to Christ as our Savior. It also sets up and paves the way for salvation. Romans 3, 21 through 24. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law in the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. At the time the Old Testament was written, they didn't really have, or the New Testament was written, they didn't really have a New Testament going around. They had the Hebrew Bible. That's what they primarily had to use to show their authority in Scripture and to show the example of Christ. And it's also important for us to remember that Christ used the Scriptures, used the Old Testament, and the apostles also used the Old Testament. And I, during my research, I found a quote by, the man, uh, uh, by a man named G.A. Smith who once said, was indispensable to the Redeemer must always be indispensable to the redeemed. If it is good enough for Jesus to use, it's good enough for us to use. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. If we go back to Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, 
whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. The New Testament is what the Old Testament was leading up to. It's where everything culminates, where everything comes together, and the redemption and the redemptive works of Christ. Hebrews 3.1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and that he is the high priest for us. And also, he is an apostle. This means messenger in Greek. He's a messenger of the new covenant unto us. Where the Old Testament records those who bear witness of Christ before he came, the New Testament records the witness of those who saw and heard him and proclaimed his significance. The books of the New Testament have been well agreed upon for thousands of years at this point. The first time the mass, vast majority of people came together to compile what would be the New Testament altogether as one book was at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Main reason being there was some controversy going around about what belonged and what didn't belong in the New Testament. It's currently divided into these four categories. You have the Gospels, Acts of the Apostles, Letters by the Apostles, and Revelations, which, if you've read Revelations, it really is. It's kind of its own thing. It's its own category. Now, the way these are organized, it wasn't necessarily the chronological order of which they were written. Paul's writings were actually some of the first writings. He wrote them around 48 to 60 AD, roughly. Whereas the Gospels were written after that, around 60 to 100 AD, roughly, give or take. There's some debates in there somewhere, but that's roughly where they were written. The Old, T the Old Testament and the New Testament were written roughly in the span of over a thousand years, the Old Testament was. The New Testament was written in the span of about a hundred years. That's actually one of the reasons also why the Council of Nicaea came together, was they had to determine what was gospel, what was God's truth, what was the New Testament, and what was not. Because just because we see a finished, completed writings doesn't mean that people stopped writing. I had mentioned earlier uh, a man by the name of Clement writing from Rome to Corinth. Good Christian man, nothing wrong with him writing, and a lot of his stuff is actually fairly uh, biblically accurate, and I would say it shows a lot of doctrine, but it's not scripture. Just because it shows that doesn't make it scripture. That'd be like calling Pat Manning's lessons scripture. He's writing about scripture. It's, it's doctrine. It's accurate. That doesn't necessarily make it scripture. Now, at first, all these books were circulated individually. The only exception to this individual circulation was Luke and Acts. Luke and Acts stayed together because, like Kings and Samuel and all those in the Old Testament, they were written as one work, two volumes, 
but they were written as one work. A lot of people think that, you know, Luke just ran out of parchment on his scroll, time to move to another scroll and start writing on that one. So they kept together and circulated like the Titanic circulated in one box set. <laughs> uh, the Gospels were then circulated together. Those were the first ones combined. And our dear Acts was separated from Luke. That was the first time that they were separated from each other. Not that it wasn't going on its own important journey. It was being circulated on its own still. But it was separated so the Gospels could circulate together. And then Paul's letters were the next to be collected. These were mostly kept as just letters because he wrote these. These were personal. The Church of Corinth just kept hold of theirs. They shared it, sure. Uh, Church of Ephesus, they just kept hold of their letters. Uh, Timothy and Titus, again, personal letters. They kept hold of them, shared them, but they held on to them. So it wasn't until later that they were collected into what was called the Pauline Corpus. First, it was the books to the churches. It was just 10 books of his 13. And then, later on, the pastoral epistles is what they're called. First and Second Timothy and Titus were then uh, added to that and circulated together with the other Pauline corpus, the other letters of Paul. And the thing about their organization that does frustrate a lot of new Christians, and to me sometimes is frustrating, is they weren't organized chronologically. They were organized by length. Only exception being Galatians and Ephesians. I believe Ephesians is slightly longer, but for the most part, they were organized by length, not by the order of which that they were written. So eventually, we have the Gospels all circulating together with Paul's letters and Acts, bridging the gap between the two. By the middle of the second century, all of these were circulating together with the other apostles' books, gradually kind of being added in there towards the end. But, I mean, here you can kind of see we have most of the New Testament here between the Gospels, Acts, and uh, the Epistles, which I actually like that they put Acts where they did, though sometimes I wish they put Luke next to Acts, because it does, Acts plays a very important role plays a huge role in understanding Scripture. Because if you read Luke and Acts together, you'll have a pretty firm foundation in the church as a new Christian. It, it provides a great foundation. It's easy to read, and they go right into each other. But in the middle of the 2nd century, being around 150-ish A.D., these were circulating, as well as the other epistles, and revelations with the Hebrew Bible, which they kind of inherited from the Jews. So we have, essentially, these churches have a Bible at this point, very similar to what we have, maybe organized a little bit differently, but they have all the same books. And a man by the name of uh, Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr is another very interesting person to look at when you're trying to trace the, the history of the church and you're looking down during that time around the second century and trying to figure out what happened and what changed. Justin Martyr was a Greek philosopher 
that had changed. He had found the gospel, and he would then go on to use his skills, his abilities to preach the word of God, and he would use all of his time to do so. And he said, he quoted after recording these churches, he said, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the presider verbally instructs and exhorts the imitation of these good things. So we're starting to see everything kind of come together at this point. And the Bible really does, it has one overall message that you'll see shared throughout the Scripture. And this message has led to many changes in the world. Just for one example, the need to translate the Bible, the desire to translate the Bible and share God's Word with people, for a lot of countries, a lot of cultures, that's the first reason they got a written word, was the desire to share the Bible with them so that they could read it. They didn't even have a written word. They didn't get it until the Bible. And the mission to, to spread the gospel was a direct effect of its primary message. While compiled of so many different books, written over thousands of years, this collective maintains one central idea. The story of the Bible is the story of salvation. That is Scripture. And it has three main themes to show this. We have the bringer of salvation, the way of salvation, and the heirs of salvation. Titus 3, 3-7, lays this out nice and clear. It says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. By being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Christ is the bringer of salvation. He is the mediator of the covenant between us and God. The way of salvation is this new covenant formed in God's grace, which calls us, uh, which calls us forward to Him to respond in faith and in obedience in His Word. And the heirs of salvation are we, the church. This is the narrative of the Bible. And strangely enough, something I found interesting in, and important when it comes to translations, uh, somebody reading in English, when they're reading the Bible, when they're reading the Old Testament, you're not going to see church written in the Old Testament. It's not really there. Uh, 
But when it was translated into Greek, somebody that spoke Greek and was reading the Greek Bible and then reading the Greek New Testament would have seen Ecclesia mentioned talking about Israel. Ecclesia is church. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of the church. The Old Testament simply foreshadowing what is to come. The message of the Bible is God's message to man. To quote Hebrews 1.1 again, spoken many times and in diverse ways. The authority of Scripture comes not from any one man. It comes not from any one group, from any one church. The authority of Scripture comes from its divine author, which is God, who is truth. That is why we can have faith in the Scriptures, because it is God's work. Going forward through this series, as this is just more of an introduction to what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be looking at everything from from translations to apocrypha to the infallibility of Scripture and so much more. I hope that all of y'all will be able to join us for that. Uh, We're trying to figure out some of it might be done over the uh, study on Wednesday nights. Maybe we'll see how things go. Um, But I hope you all enjoyed the lesson. I thank you for your attention this morning. Uh, If anybody needs any assistance from the church, if you're ready to believe in the gospel or you've been struggling with things in your day-to-day life, feel free to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.